welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome along, everybody, to this, the final episode for 2021 of the Bro Novo Podcast. Thank you all so much for being with me for the ride. And cheers to many more years ahead of us. As you know, I love to have friends on the pod, and this week we have a special treat in my good friend, Francisco. He's truly one of the most compassionate, authentic, and intelligent people I know, so thoughtful, and an absolute legend. So this one was remote. Uh, we'll, we'll get an in-person one in the books before too long, but just enjoy it. We talk about his upbringing, his influences and how he evolved and is evolving into the man he is. So thank you very much to Francisco for coming on the program. Enjoy your New Year's. I hope that no matter what setbacks or challenges or disappointments you experience this year, that you are going into next year with hope and optimism and joy, and that it is a beautiful year for all of us. We'll see you next Thursday on the Bro Nouveau podcast. (laughs) We're off to the races, Francisco, my my dear friend. Welcome to the Bro Nouveau podcast, Tom. It is such a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, dude, absolutely, man. What's been uh, What's been happening in your world of late, man? What's the What's the latest? Well, you know, I'm so excited that you're having me on this show because um, it's always inspiring to know somebody who's following their creative their creative path and their creative inspiration. And not just kind of, you know, dibbling or dabbling. You're you're really sending full sending it, which I so appreciate. Every Thursday, how long has it been? Thirty episodes? Thirty weeks? Thirty years, dude. That's what it feels oh like. Oh my gosh. I... Young man. <laughs> Young man. <laughs> so thanks for the inspiration, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What do you what do you make of the whole and thanks for saying that? The whole concept, you know, this whole evolved man idea is that something that you think is a good idea or you know how do you engage with that concept when it when it crosses your your giant brain (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that you know that's a funny thing for you to say um i think my background my my background my growing up um i haven't had professional training (laughs) (laughs) i haven't had the most traditional uh American like male figures around. Uh, for example, my dad's known for wearing pink. He wears pink. That's his thing. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've been blessed to kind of have um, uh, a diversity in the in the males that I look up to. Um, so I and I really appreciate that. I feel like if you, whenever you get new perspectives, whenever you get new opinions and new ideas, it broadens your thinking and broadens your horizons. So I've been grateful for that in my own life. And I'm so grateful that you can do that with uh, with others through this show and through the people you bring on. Cheers, man. Yeah, yeah. You have a really interesting upbringing. I would I would think one just Bay Area in itself is a kind of unique place, and for a lot of reasons. And then two, just the international perspective, right? Where your mom is an immigrant, you grew up in a bilingual household, or at least between two of you. and you know what dude as well something i i just was thinking about this before we started chatting 
you're one of the most well-adjusted only children I know. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> did that did that influence you at all growing up as an only child, or I rather, how did it influence you? Because I imagine that it's impossible to avoid that. Yeah, being an only child is kind of funny, you know. Um, you have to be creative from a young age and, uh, in all kinds of different ways. And I think that uh, I was lucky in that my parents, they included me in a lot of things. So if they had to go to an adult party, it was just I, I was going to be there. I wasn't going to – I mean, of course I had babysitters every once in a while, but most of the time it was just, oh, Francisco's <laughs> – he's coming in hot. Um, <laughs> And so, what that meant, I think, is I had to adjust um, adjust to different, it, it, not necessarily audiences, but adjust to different groups. I had to learn how to read the room, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, from a very young age and uh, figure out what worked for each kind of room in the same way. Um, I learned that being polite in whatever that means, uh, but being polite in the this, this areas that I was in was a, a hit. People liked that. Um, <laughs> being interested in other people. Um, kind of molding myself to the to the group around me. All those things that were keys to success. And so, diving into different groups uh, in that way with my parents bringing me, um, that was really important to that. Right, right. It helps you become a conversationalist and maybe got you comfortable talking to adults. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely had. A lot more adult interactions that I did with uh, with kids. I think. I mean, I, obviously, I went to school and I played sports and stuff. Like, I wasn't all alone, but I had a lot of more adult interactions than a lot of other kids my age. Nice man. Yeah. And then, did you have or do you have a social like go to or something that you always can pull out of your back pocket in a social setting <laughs> to grease the you, wheels? You mean like conversation stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. Well, one thing that uh, it always cracks me up when someone brings up the weather, because that seems to be, that seems to be something that people love to do. And that just, I lose my mind. Someone's like, oh, it's raining out here. Lord knows we need it. And Lord I just, need it. <laughs> I can't handle it. I can't hang. It's so funny. Um, no. So one of the strategies that I like to use, which is something that my dad taught me. He loves to use the expression of uncorking people. Um, and so how that manifests is that you kind of start asking people questions. I'm sure you've been subject to this a couple that's times. So that's so North Bay, man. <laughs> yeah. It's a Sonoma wine, wine country. Us. <laughs> yeah. It's part of our culture. <laughs> it's in our blood. It's in our conversations. It's in our glasses. Uh, yeah. So you uncork people. It's just kind of poking and prodding people, you know, lightly. Until you find that one thing that they really love to talk about. Usually it's some some hobby of theirs or some passion that you never knew was out there. And you'll know that you've uncorked somebody when, you know, you ask a couple questions. You say, so where are you from? And they say, oh, St. Louis. Okay, cool. Uh, what's your favorite sport? Baseball. Oh, how about the, uh, I don't even know the baseball team in St. Louis. The Cardinals? Yes. No. Yeah, well, let's just say baseball team in St. Louis, and, they, and then they start going. They just start talking. You've right, uncorked love them, it. And then you just get curious, and the wheels are greased, and you're off to the races. Nice, man. My my thing I could always rely on is asking good questions. Mm. What does he have, like, interviews? Oh, 
you know, brilliant. My whole strategy with job interviews is just to get the interviewer talking more than I do. And then they leave the encounter feeling really good and positive about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have like questions that you ask people specifically or does it just kind of, do you just read the room and, and yeah. improvise? There, there's one make or break question okay. that either, I feel like it's pretty polarizing. Mm-hmm. People either are really engaged with it and they like it or they think it's dumb and it makes them uncomfortable or self-conscious. And that would be the question of what are your hobbies or what do you do in your free time? Mm. You know, or what are your passions? Anything, anything like that. And I, I find that people who are interesting just go off the races. They're like, Oh, yep. boom. Birding. I love birding. And <laughs> me and the wife take the kayak out and I'm a purple belt. You know, they're like, yeah. They're like rich and fulfilled life. Boom. That's, (laughs) that's fascinating. And then there are a lot of people or other people who are like, "Uh, I don't know. I just hang out with my friends and drink, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that like everyone is interesting and has the potential to become a good conversationalist, but it just takes practice, you know? And if you, if somebody's never had anyone ask them that kind of question, I can understand why it would throw them off. Sure. Yeah. And if sometimes I feel like people have to, I bet a lot of people's friends get tired of them talking about their birding and they're going out kayaking. So when a total stranger is like, tell me about, tell me about the birds, you get, you're hyped. You got a new audience. You got a captive audience. They can't leave (laughs) and you get to share what you know. I had a buddy in college who, Oh, uh, you were Toby. Yeah. Toblerone. His dad, uh-huh. uh, Herb, is like an older guy, and we would always refer to talking to Herb and like getting caught in the vortex. <laughs> like once you start talking to him, like that's it. Like forty-five minutes later, you know he's still talking about whatever. But that's cool, man. I think that's yeah. Uh, that's a good point, though, because actually, this is what as far as creative outlet this has become my outlet for those kinds of conversations instead of mm-hmm. just bringing them on strangers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and making people uncomfortable to be like, get away from me. You freak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you do a so, really great job, Tom. I mean, I've known you for a little while now and, uh, you always struck me as someone who's curious and interested and, and a good listener. And, uh, I can always count on you wherever we're going. You're going to make conversation with somebody and they're going to become your friend. I remember we were standing in line at this dumpling place and uh, we were just hanging out and this guy comes up to get his to-go order and you just go, hey man, having a good weekend? And he's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I actually am. I'm you know, i getting dumplings, going to go to the park, have a picnic or something. <laughs> 15 minutes later, we're still talking to this guy about, you know, how he moved to the Bay Area. And I thought, I was like, Tom, do you know that guy? Nope. He just likes dumplings. I like dumplings too. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, man. I had a, a guest on T and she said uh, she liked this idea of uh, single serving friendships. Hmm. You know, you just meet somebody, have an interaction with them, oh. enjoy it. And then you just, you know, you go off into the ether. It's kind of fun. 
Yeah. Yeah, dude. So, so you recently launched a creative outlet of your own. Hello Sonoma, a weekly radio program. What, what's that all about? You're right. You're right. Well, you know, I believe that everybody's interesting if you ask them the right questions. Um, I've been lucky enough to meet some, some people who, uh, who surprise me. You know, you ask those questions and start to uncork them and you find out that they've had a, a marvelous history. You know, I had a, a great interview with somebody who, you know, writes for the newspaper, but she used to be, uh, an intern with Jacqueline Kennedy. Um, and she was working right next to the Oval Office with JFK, got pulled in all these different meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to, uh, a couple people who, someone my age who recently, you know, gave up everything. She was doing a PhD at Harvard, Harvard Business School. Uh, she was doing these amazing things, writing, starting writing a book and, uh, gave it all up and moved to a ranch in Wyoming and said it was the best decision she's ever made. Um, and I think, you know, to the point that you said earlier, you know, get people going. If you just get, get people going, they're going to share you a part of life that you may never have thought of before. And that can be really exciting. It can, it's kind of like adding some spice to your, to your mashed potatoes. Um, nice. <laughs> add some zest. So that's yeah, been a lot of fun. That's awesome, dude. So from my understanding, as you live in Sonoma mm-hmm. and it's a Sonoma public radio program, you interview local folks and hear their stories and kind of share some, yeah, like exactly that, like deeper or more interesting or nuanced facets of people's lives. So, you know, these are people's neighbors, but they may never have known that, you know, this kind of person's living, this person's living in their community. Totally. Totally. There's another magazine here in Sonoma called, uh, the social publication and they have a, um, a segment called meet your neighbors. So hello Sonoma is kind of like that, um, meeting your neighbors, the idea is to interview voices from Sonoma and beyond. So sometimes, you know, you got to bring voices from outside the valley to kind of highlight what we have here and highlight what else is out there around the world. Um, I've been lucky enough to just sort of know who to interview, but it, sometimes I just meet people per chance, and it's it's been kind of exciting to uncover uncover oh, yeah. the, the magic of the valley. I love to have that in my back pocket if I meet someone interesting. It's just to be like, come on the come on the program. Yeah. You know, you know? There, I was, I think I've talked to you about this before. There aren't that many contexts where you can just be like, I just want to listen to you talk and it won't be weird, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause yeah. if you're like going to go get coffee with someone, there's the expectation that you're going to share and you're going to have to, right. but sometimes you just want to be like, tell me your life story. And that's <laughs> a weird thing to say to someone, but on the radio or on the podcast, that's the whole, they expect that. And it's great. That's That's the whole scoop. But there is a, you still have, you do have to kind of uncork the person though, right? And give them the permission and the inspiration and the desire to share, right? By so, the way, that term is trademark, so yeah. I'm expecting royalties. Well, it, it feels sensual off the tongue, you know? It's like, what are you going to uncork me, buddy? <laughs> well, that's, that's not the intention. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just so you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So on that front, as far as the out of the valley conversations, you mm-hmm. have this sister cities project you're drumming up, and what, what's that all about? Well, um, you mentioned earlier that my mother's from Brazil, that I grew up in a bilingual household. So um, I've always kind of paid attention to what 
what a certain culture, what different cultures bring to the table. You know, I, I never took for granted how people interact, you know, what a family dinner is like. I understand that there's at least two different versions of what that might look like or different traditional foods. Um, and I'm by no means alone in that, but I just was lucky in my childhood to see that. So I think um, highlighting voices from beyond the valley has been really important. And uh, I've always been interested in sharing those different... I think in my experience, it's always been interesting to learn how other people do things. And so uh, talking to people from beyond the valley, I feel like hopefully is interesting for other people. I interviewed my friend from Jordan, who's doing his master's in Spain. So we got a little bit of international vibes there. I interviewed uh, the uh, a local business owner who runs a thrift shop called the Beaumarche. She's originally from Rwanda. I interviewed... Um, my friend from Afghanistan who recently was resettled in the United States and on and on. And, uh, I just, I just love, um, love hearing about the, the fantastic people, uh, both here and beyond. Totally, man. And it's gives a different perspective on where we live to see it through another culture's eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Like, what's a good example? Like, Food culture in America is pretty whack. You know, it's either you have someone in your family who is kind of takes, like, grabs the cooking by the horns and kind of makes it happen for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you're eating frozen food dinners and fast food and that's it. You know, there's no American cuisine per se, but these older cultures yeah. have this incredibly rich history and it's tied in with culture, right? Like, like Kyo always says that language is, is an expression of culture. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I think the, the same could be said of food. And, you know, I would imagine, I, I mean, I've had the conversations with people who aren't from here, who come here for a visit or to live. And they're like, what's, what are you eating? Like, <laughs> why? why? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, I thought the same thing. Um, grew up on the West Coast, went to school on the East Coast, spent some time in the Midwest. Um, and it wasn't until this year uh, where I, I'm going to use the term Columbus. I Columbus Southern food. In other words, I discovered, in quotes, I, <laughs> I figured out that it existed from my perspective. And Southern food has its own whole, whole deal. You know, you, Louisiana, Cajun cuisine, uh, just Southern food in general. And uh, it was cool to have that same experience that I've had in other countries in the United States where it's like, wow, this, this food is part of the culture and this culture celebrates the food that they have. And I, I love what you just said that, that language can be a, a window into a culture, but so can food. And what I love about food too, is, you know, everybody has to eat. It's this weird thing that we human machines have to do. We have to just put things in our mouths and it fuels us. But we turn it into one of the most important social gatherings of our society. That's that's another thing that <clears throat> my mom, she critiques about traditional American culture or, well, parts of American culture that um, she says, Americans eat standing up. They eat sandwiches. What's up with that? <laughs> She's used to this idea of when you eat, you eat, you sit down and you eat together. It's a, it's a ritual. And... Uh, what 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 better way to make friends than to break bread with them? Totally, man. I have a pretty visceral memory of when my buddies in high school and I kind of developed that culture of just sitting down. When we get together, we you know we might play some games, 
maybe we go out, get some dinner. But the majority of the night is we literally just sit down with a bunch of beers and just mm-hmm. sit around the table and <laughs> just talk shit and yell and laugh and cry and love for six hours. You know what I mean? And that's it. And like I, I had a visceral kind of memory from in high school when we started to develop that. I'll actually credit my brother too because John and his friends would always do that. And he was, you know, they kind of taught me the art and the importance of conversation because they would just hang around, smoke cigars and like debate. They were like the, the poli sci kids in high school mm-hmm. before we knew what that was, you know? Right. And uh, they were like, yeah, sit down and just talk and argue and, you know, talk about ideas. Right. And it's that whole kind of thing about like leveling up from talking about people to events, to ideas and how each one kind of expands our horizons and challenges. And yeah. And I think it's kind of cool, man. Like the whole, the whole topic of the food, like it's no wonder that like the, the, the favorite human pastime is sitting around conversing. So conversation with food. So it's sustenance and it's also an expression of culture and it's flavor mm-hmm. and it's joy combine alcohol and then put music together. Like that's, that's overwhelming in an amazing way, right? Like music is mm-hmm. the single greatest creation of human existence, you know, and like adding that on top of those other things is like, yeah, I think it, it is kind of a, I guess what I'm getting at is that like, there's a lot of satisfaction and joy to be found in those simple things. Like we don't need much in theory to be happy. Totally. I, I love what you said there um, about about the things that we have in common. You know, it's amazing that all humans everywhere, we need to eat, we need to sleep, we have weddings, we have funerals, um, we have very specific rituals all around the world that are all very similar. Um, and what makes it so special is when you get to ask people how they do those rituals, because everybody's ritual is a little different, even from family to family or from country to country or from tribe to tribe. And uh, what better way to get to know somebody than by finding that one thing or one of those things that you have in common that you totally understand. You're like, I know how a wedding works. And then you ask somebody from another place. So how does your, how's your guys' weddings? And they say, oh, you know, we do it in a church. And you go, wow, in a church. Or we do it <laughs> under the, under the stars. Or we, we have a big party or we, you know, have a sheep there. Or um, right. I think it's a cool, a level, a levels, a levels the playing field. Um, of getting to know one another. Totally. And here in the U.S., we get to see kids of families who moved here from different countries navigate which parts and pieces of the culture they want to hang on to and mm-hmm. how much time are they willing or do they have to invest in, in keeping those cultural ties together. You know what I mean? Totally. And like, There's also the whole... Like, I mean, even from like a domestic politics perspective, like that's something that's tracked as far as which immigrant groups are assimilating into American culture and and how are they assimilating or not assimilating and how is that going to influence voting patterns? You know, all that stuff is just part of the deal. Yeah. There's a lot to think about. Yeah. I have a lot of friends. My mom's from Brazil. I've said this now twice or three times, (laughs) but a lot of her friends from Brazil when they came to the United States... Um, they didn't teach their kids Portuguese that much. 
they just, they wanted to speak English. They wanted their kids to speak English. And, um, my mom didn't feel that way. And our friend, our mutual friend, Dan was the same way. He was talking about this. Um, I hope I don't take the words out of his mouth, but when his Russian parents came here, they thought, you know, the kids are in America. They're going to learn English. They're going to learn everything about American culture, but for them to learn Russian culture in America, forget about it. Yeah. So they made sure to impart that culture from the two greatest teachers that they could have. And, um, and that's the way you learn it. And it's a cool way to, to blend and mix and, and become something better. Yeah. What's, what are the components of your identity, man? You mean just what, what generally you like, about, how, yeah, I, I guess more specifically like your national identity and, and your, how do you conceive of yourself in a, in the context of, of the U S and Brazil? Sure. Well, I definitely consider myself <laughs> a lot of people from Brazil um, take umbrage with the term American as someone from the United States because True. Brazilians are Americans too. So I consider myself an American because I'm from both places. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like I have a lot of Brazilian culture in me, you know, music, stories, just general way of being. I, I, I think I was Super lucky. Super mellow. <laughs> yeah. Although both my parents are pretty mellow. Um, and at the same time, I recognize that I didn't, I never went to school in Brazil. So I never, I, the, I've only lived there for six months at a time in my recent years. So I recognize that there's a lot of the, you know, the intangible parts of a culture that you can never really get, you know, the slang words, the slang words I use are from the sixties and seventies. Cause those are the ones my mom uses. I always get, <laughs> get made fun of, um, <laughs> Um, but it still feels like a pretty central part of my identity. What's interesting too to me is that here, me being half Brazilian does not make me any less United Statesian, as Brazilians like to say. Um, if that makes sense. Whereas in Brazil, being half uh, half from here, from the U.S., somehow makes me not quite as Brazilian, which is interesting. Um, yeah, for sure. And maybe it's too like. Well, because it's where you grew up, right? That's where you spent most yeah. of your time. So, yeah, I mean, like, like when you when you walk around there, before if no one talks to you, you know, do they assume you're foreign or do they assume you're local? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for those who are listening, I have very pale skin, freckles, and blue eyes, um, and what some would consider blonde hair. And, uh, for the longest time, I thought that in all of Brazil, I would be a, a standout like crazy. And in Rio, I stand out like crazy. Every time I'm walking on the, where my family's from, every time walking on the beach, people come up to me and say like, Hey, you want to buy bracelets or right. you want to draw on your shoe shine? And I have to pull <laughs> out the slang that I do know and be like, nah, dudes, like I'm chilling. <laughs> and they go, Oh, sorry. I thought you were American. You're <laughs> I like, say, I am. No, thank you, kind sir. I am adequate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but when I went to the south of Brazil, then no one, no, no one cared because there's a lot of people who look like me. There's a lot of you know Germans and Italians who immigrated there um, over the years. So that was kind of a funny experience. Interesting. Yeah. So more, more 
Yeah, and then, and then how like because here the whole like race thing is so much more fraught, and like we're now yeah. working through even how to talk about it as white people. But and down in Brazil, is it a similar kind of like fraught like situation, or, or and how has the conversation there been impacted by events here over the last two years? That's a really great question. Um, I just want to preempt this, my answer by saying I'm not at all qualified to discuss this with any kind of authority. <laughs> um, but if I remember correctly, Brazil imported something like 4 million slaves. I just want to confirm. 4 million people from Africa who were enslaved. 4 million. Let me just make sure that this is true. Can we, can we fact check this later? I'm going to fact check it later. Um, whereas the United States, you know, was only a fraction of that. So Brazil's population looks very different from the United States population just because of that fact. However, um, slavery in Brazil was a really big, horrible deal. Um, they were just buying people, which is a crazy thought, buying people, working them until they died and buying more. It was cheaper to just buy a new person than to take care of someone long enough for them to have a long life. Jesus. And so, yeah, it's, it's deep, dark culture there. They have, you know, the United States has plantation culture. Brazil has plantation culture. The sugar cane fields were a big deal. I mean, sugar was everything. Um, the triangle trade, <clears throat> which I'm sure you may have heard of with sugar cane going up to Boston and England and people get coming from Africa to, mm-hmm. to Brazil. So race is certainly an interesting thing. If you look at novellas, which are like the, telenovelas the mexican novelas brazil has those too they're like a soap operas many many of the people have light skin despite it's almost like 45 percent of the population in brazil has some kind of mixed race or more than that um so brazil is still trying to figure out racism too just like in the united states the thing that makes the united states um different though is that it was more explicitly codified if that makes sense there was Mm -hmm you know, segregated restrooms, segregated buses, right there. It said, you know, whites only. Um, and in Brazil, it's still a little bit more implicit. I've had a lot of conversations with my friends who have, um, like, really curly hair. And, you know, the same kinds of conversations we hear here about how that's not professional and you should straighten your hair. Um, or, you know, you don't look the part, whatever that means. Right. Um, so this, so this idea or like this, like subliminal messaging that white is good, at least through the right. telenovelas is being communicated kind of, uh, non-verbally. Exactly. And, and through a lot of different media, if you look at government representation too, um, it's, it's wild. Let me just see here. Yeah. No, I, I can't find the statistic. Okay. Yeah. We'll check it later. Okay. Yeah, man. So that's interesting. And and how how do you internalize the last two years, you know, as a as a white guy like me? Wow. Cuz I've been moving through various yeah, thought processes and kind of like you know, I've been thinking about it a lot, which mm-hmm. Each comes with different phases, different thoughts, different emotions, you know, all that whole thing. So, yeah, how do you kind of approach this this current state? And, and I, knowing you, 
you know, I know you're someone who's not going to be passive. So how do you kind of approach and plan to contribute or make the situation better in some, in some way as, as abstract as of a question that is? Yeah. Well, um, uh, the same disclaimer as the previous one is that I'm not totally qualified, but from my personal experience, you know, what struck me about the past two years is Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, both of them were 26 when they were shot and killed. I'm 26 right now. So to me, this was a lot like a, a more than just, you know, a horrible story of people getting murdered. Um, it was a, a, a very personal story. You know, that could have been me. At my age, you know, with my, I feel like I still have time ahead of me to figure out my life and, and hopefully do good things in the future. So to hear that two of my fellow citizens were killed at the same age as me, I mean, that, that I was thinking about, I still think about that a lot. Um, and it's tough. Oftentimes it's tough for me to know exactly what to do, which I'm sure is not a great excuse. Um, but I've always believed in the idea of bloom where you're planted, you know, uh, it's, it's tough to, to, to try to tackle such a big issue as such as racism in the United States and racism around the world. For me, it just seems like a, a huge, a huge thing to do. But what is better is to, um, try to tackle something on a, on a more manageable scale. So the bloom where you're planted is, you know, you're planted where you are, you are where you're, where you're supposed to be. And if you can affect the change in your little neck of the woods, that's a big deal. So I've been really conscious about having conversations with my family, with my friends. Um, it's a, it's a, a topic I plan on discussing on the radio show because I believe that the best way to tackle these kinds of problems is through empathy and compassion and empathy and compassion, um, are built through patience and, um, and kindness, not to say that it needs to be slow. Cause I don't think, I don't think that's, mm-hmm. That's good. But it is to say that if you take time to talk to somebody, you can often change their mind uh, a lot quicker than if, um, I'll just, for example, uh, my job is I work for a homeless services center. I I help manage and, and have been for the past two years. And homelessness is an issue that for many is visual. You know, people look on the screen and they see homeless people in these dirty tents, uh, dirty clothes, you know, going to the bathroom in the streets, um, in their, in their eyes up to no good. Um, and when that's all you see about a group of people, something really negative, then your mind starts to adopt that as the definition of that group of people. And so through my work, I always try to interview people and hear their stories. And so rather than seeing the image of someone's dirty tent or the, their, all their possessions around their car, you hear the story about a, a young guy who ran his own janitorial service, who had 12 employees for five years and was diagnosed with ALS and uh, decided to close the business because he didn't want to, he, he couldn't, he just couldn't do it anymore. And he had to lose, he had to get, he had to let go of his employees. He had to let go of his business and his medical bills took over his, his situation. And when you start to hear a story like that, it becomes more real and less just a quick image. 
And I think that um, many people in the United States are similarly not exposed to that money, you know, real family empathy stories of people that are not like them, which is really too bad. Um, and for better or worse, well, definitely for worse, most of the input that they get is, um, is focused on division rather than on, uh, what makes us human that we all eat and sleep and get married and die. Yeah. Anything like that. And that we should take care of one another. And we should totally, have liberty man. and justice for all, as it says in all of our documents. All. Sure. Yeah, yeah, well said. So I'm hearing, kind of driving the topic among the circles we have access to, which would be white people, and kind of not being idle about it. Mm-hmm. And also taking the opportunity to build relationships and hear stories of people that are different than us to create that Instead of just like, a, I think it's one thing to kind of say like, oh, like I am progressive or I am an anti-racist or whatever the conception right. is, your concept is internally. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to kind of lead that life, right? So the other thing too, man, that I've been, I've been kind of grappling with is that like... <clears throat> a sense of uh, distrust has been kind of creeping into my, my filtration and analysis of almost everything I hear from a outside source, just because of the disinformation, you know, I feel like a lot of the incentives of the powers that be have kind of been revealed a little bit more especially with like COVID, for example, being, you know, these like CDC, WHO, all of these entities that probably had a lot of credibility at the start, you know, through their handling have kind of lost some of that credibility or people's faith has been diminished or, you know, the presidency was kind of dampened by Trump. And then now, you know, Biden also is not perfect, you know, and there's so I think what I've been trying to be conscious of is like, just because in theory I agree with the tenets of like stru- structural racism exists, for example, and like it's my obligation as a pr- person of privilege to a white person of privilege to do something about it. I agree with that tenant, but I'm also still just not trying to accept everything at face value and kind of think about how do I want to engage with this and, and what's the best route for me because I think that unfortunately this movement has been like any, any movement that reaches that big mass macro scale. I don't know. I, I I guess what I'm saying is like a wider skepticism of everything has kind of bled into this too, in some ways. And I'm, I'm kind of grappling with how like with that knowledge in my head, I know I have to do more of my own critical thinking. Right. And that's kind of where, where I'm at now is like, I know I have the ability to research and think critically and that's kind of where I'm at with, with a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Including this. Well, I think it's important to, to, to know and to remember that this isn't the first time these things have come around. You know, mm. <laughs> we had, uh, I, I'm, re- I'm reading some history, a, a book called the uh, people's history of the United States. 
mm-hmm. by Howard Zinn. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of, I'll use the word alternative history, not in the same way as alternative facts. An alternative history in the sense that <laughs> it's non-traditional, uh, it, that it tells the perspectives of the of the people who didn't write the books, or yeah, from from different different perspectives than you and I may have learned in school. And so, I think it's important to, to learn more about the context in which we're in, rather than just the moment that we're um, experiencing. That we're, yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. that context c- can help us learn a lot. It's a good point, man. Because if we get too stuck in the moment, you know, the moment is, what's the word? Ephemeral. You know, the moment comes and goes. But the history, the structure, it's been here for a while. And if you just look back, you're going to see what's what's been existing for a long time. Totally. Totally, man. Even in, this, in the city in which I stand, you know, in San Francisco right now, like there's a well-documented exodus and driving out of black people from here, you know, yeah, and that's super complicated. That's, yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. So the other thing I wanted to kind of pick your brain on and chat about is this, this, this whole idea that we kind of referenced earlier of evolved masculinity or mature masculinity or developing empathy mm-hmm. within people. Cause you're someone I hold in, extremely high regard and you are actually the golden standard, my friend of, of <laughs> you're too, kind. you know, I know that's, it's a lot, it's a lot to put on a person. That's I'm too not, much. You know, it's, it's, I understand no one's perfect. I understand we're all human. I'm not, I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but like, for example, when I introduce someone new to Kendall, who she hasn't met before, if they're like a super top notch person, I'll be like, they're like a Francisco level, that's too much. I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, man. Yo. I have never seen you put someone down or say something nasty or snide or crude for no reason. Like I've seen you be angry. I've seen you stand up for yourself, you know, and, and stand up for what's right. But you are so kind and so compassionate. And how did you? How did you become like that? Because that's the kind of energy that I think we need in this world. So, so if you had some, some kind of thoughts to share with the folks about developing that, you know, what, what would that be? <laughs> well, um, I by no means would hold myself in that high regard. I'm a very imperfect, very flawed individual. Um, and always striving to be better. I think, um, in my quest to just be as kind as possible, you know, I think that Kindness is such a powerful tool. It can be, it can be used as a weapon, but it's such a powerful tool for getting to know people. And I found it's just just a useful thing to do. If you if you can be kind, you can be direct, and you can be angry, and you can you can do everything. And I think sometimes kindness can be even more powerful. My mom likes to say, or it's not my mom. I can't remember where I read I read this, but if you're ever going to reply to someone who's wronged you be kind, but devastating. (laughs) I I thought that was very funny. You know, you you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be mean spirited, but, um, destroy them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know. I think I, I've just been lucky to have a lot of good role models that help me, that give me kind of a North star to aim towards and, uh, always trying to reach for it. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So say there's some guys listening who have had terrible role models. All they know how to do is bottle things up and then express it, you know, in an outburst, but they want to change. Sure. Well, I would say the same thing. I mean, I would say the same thing I would say about anything, which is just to start small. Um, just my, my dad, I've talked to him about him, about him a couple of times besides just besides wearing his pink shirts. He's also a really <laughs> cool role model. But one thing that he does that I so appreciate is he just stops and does makes people feel human. So, you know, you're getting a coffee or even at a ticket line, you know, when they used to have the people at the bridge, take your money just uh, to take your toll. He just, you know, how, how are you today? Or, wow, I really like your tie. That's a really nice tie. Or, wow, nice shoes with no expectation of anything in return, you know, just, Hey, really nice shoes. And then just keep going or, um, and, and just when you see people's reactions, you're going to go like, wow, that was a good feeling. I like that. I like seeing people, someone smile. I mean, you can obviously go too far, but you know, it, it can be a, it can be a fun experiment to just start small. And once you, once you get that going, you can see where else I can take you. Nice. Yeah. Nice, man. That's good advice. And I agree. I think that with any grand goal or anything of substance that matters as far as a self-improvement perspective, it takes time and, and small incremental increases produce a bigger shift, you know, in, in the long run. Yeah. That, that classic cliche, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with an espresso. <laughs> All right. What's this game you brought, brother? We're going to oh. get to the three things game, but you, you have something uh, cooked up for us, which I love. A plus yeah. for preparation. <laughs> you know, I, I heard that I heard that Thomas on Bro Nouveau likes to play the three question game. So I brought my own game in anticipation. It's <laughs> by my by my sponsor. We're not really strangers. It's uh, they do all kinds of fun, you know, questions and learning about yourself. So I thought I'd ask you a question, Thomas. Um, are you ready? I was born ready. <laughs> what is my favorite thing about the age I am today? This is this is my favorite thing. Yeah. <sighs> Crikey. Yeah. <laughs> um. My, I'll, I'll do a a literal answer and then a more metaphoric one. Okay. My health is is the literal answer. Mm. I can bounce around. I can work out. My limbs work. My knees don't hurt. My back doesn't hurt. My neck doesn't hurt. I'm strong. I'm healthy. I'm hale. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're out there playing rugby. I love You're out it. there swimming in the bay. You're out there doing hundreds of pull-ups. That's it, man. So that's a beautiful thing, man. And that's that's fleeting. One day these bodies will, will fail us. So I'm going to enjoy it while I can and try to maintain it as long as I can. And then I think that, you know, I used to, when, you talk to, when I used to talk to older people, maybe all jaded and talking about, oh, you're so young. It's so awesome. Like life sucks when you get older. I'd be like, <laughs> screw you. Like get out of here. Yeah. But now yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I see what you mean. 
you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> but I think the cool thing about my age is that I'm at that balance point where I still have that optimism that I, I never plan to lose that optimism, but I think there's a, there's so much I don't know and I acknowledge right. that, but I'm starting to know enough to understand how much I don't know, which is kind of scary and exciting at the same time. It's a sign of an intelligent man. Wise man, small steps downhill. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks for asking, man. Hey, I got you. All right. Are you going to get a question? Are we, are we going to three things or what's the... Let's go to three things. I, I just wanted to pick your brain for a second there. Yeah. Cheers, man. Okay. Your birthday is in the winter, right? It's April. Oh, okay. Well, you're up. You're up first. Here's your question. Okay. What are three things you would like to tell the world? Wait, is, is your birthday says? on? Yeah, is your birthday April twentieth? By the way, no, it's not. It's April fourteenth. Oh. <laughs> the Titanic hit the iceberg. Um, what are three things I'd like to tell the world? Maybe I'd like to say that. Wow, that's so weird. <clears throat> okay, I I think um, that we're not as different as we think we are. Mm. that's one thing the other thing is oh man I don't really have like a a thing that I'm you know eager to share with everybody um, we're not that different than we think we are um, fun is in everyone's vocabulary <laughs> and okay Spongebob and patience well no i don't like that one i'm gonna revise that one um and then courage can take many forms nice that's great yeah are you gonna do i do you answer those same questions i have a different question okay so we're we're all more alike than different. Mm-hmm. Fun is in everyone's vocabulary, mm-hmm. and courage can take many forms. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man! Yeah, actually, it's something. Um, and white fragility in that book, something that the author says as like a level set is that like under the skin we're all the same. Yeah. Human. We shouldn't even have to say that. <laughs> uh, totally. Totally. And it, and it, how much it made me stop and think made me recognize how much unconscious bias there is in me. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, Oh, it's like, that makes total sense. And like, like obviously, you know, but <laughs> you know, but it was one of those things I was like, right. Oh yeah. Duh. But it's like, why is that? You know what I mean? That's the thing. That, that's the thing that kind of like, for me and my North Star, that points towards the problem is that like what's been communicated subconsciously, like the things we talked about through the culture, through who our representation in government, where, where money and wealth and status is held in the culture, would be that like because the majority of those people and figures are 
white, then there must be something wrong with people who are not that and don't have that status and privilege, right? So, totally. well, yeah, yeah, you know, go ahead. That was something that was totally created, you know, on purpose. And and we talked about slavery earlier. I did fact check it. Brazil did import four million four million people, which is crazy. And the British in North America only imported around five hundred thousand, so almost four times. Wow. Wait, six, eight times. Um, and that was created on purpose. You know, you had people who were easily identifiably different from the ruling class, and so well, let's make them worse than us, however we can, which is cruel and uh, evil and just totally ridiculous um, because biologically we're so much more sim- – we're, we're like – we're almost indistinguishable from one another. For sure, except, except I have a bigger brain than you. Yeah. It's the only, that, the only yeah, real yours, – Yours is in the record books. Physiological difference. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding man you're you're a brilliant guy no okay i had that question last week okay what are three things i have learned from traveling is my question it's mm. a good question great question um i'll echo that sentiment is that like it's possible to find friendly faces. It's possible to find welcome. And like, I remember one time, um, I think I was like, I was in London and I was like, need some water. Like I walked up to a bar and there was like a outside water fountain or something. And I was like, you know, went to go fill it up and they were like, Oh no, dude, you can't. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I don't know, didn't have any money or whatever. And I was like, I went to walk away yeah. and they were like, Oh dude, they're like, they, they give to buy one or something. And I was like, Oh, all right. Like it's all right. And they're like, Oh, they're like, dude, take some water. Like, it's fine. You know, so that, that, yeah. that kind of like in a, in a moment of vulnerability, of course, there are always people who will take advantage, but there are also good people. Um, number two, I think from, from being an American, as from the uh, a uh, United States of American, to be more specific, <laughs> Brigado. the the perception other countries have of us is really interesting and very important. I think to grasp to know that like we are observed and we are what people measure against in a lot of ways from an economic perspective, but culturally. We were, we were like the spoiled youngest child in the room who's a total brat, <laughs> you know, relative to these other cultures, which I think is, is interesting. And number three, I would say that you can travel by talking to people and, totally. you know, if somebody doesn't have the means or they don't have the time or the any you know possibility to get travel right now you know go go find people who have or go find people who have written books or lived abroad or from different countries and and pick their brains because you can i've i've done that and and felt like i've been transported you know yeah definitely and even even just people from your neighborhood they might have different experiences than what you might have and that can be similarly enlightening mm-hmm 
Well, awesome, Francisco. Thank you so much, my friend, for coming on the podcast. Wow, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, dude. Where can folks find the uh, Hello Sonoma? Well, on uh, podcast platforms everywhere, on KSVY 91.3, Tuesdays at 4, or on uh, anchor.fm slash Hello Sonoma. With a website. <laughs> website Bay's classic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a jingle for us? What would your jingle be? Our wine is better than yours. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you. You're hired. Thank you. <laughs>